You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. I would, you know, on my days off on tour, I'd like to go to bookstores and I'll get an Uber and call and go alone. I like to be alone. I'm, we're fucking surrounded by people constantly, right? So, you know, so I go to bookstores or, or uh, mom-pop record stores I love to frequent or mom-pop music stores, you know, and try and find something cool to do out there to get away from the circus that is God's Magic on tour. One time, Sully's like, oh, well, you know, what do you do? And a lot of times I'll just go to the mall if we're in like, you know, Des Moines, Iowa, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the mall. You know what I mean. And I am never recognized. It's just I just am not. And so maybe it's because I look like this behind the drums, <laughs> or whatever it is. But I don't get recognized, and neither does Tony or Robbie. So it's a blessing because it's always like, "Yo, dude." So I'm going to go to the mall with you. I want to go to the mall tomorrow, and I'm like, "Okay." And so Sully, Sully Erna comes to the mall with me. And within, I swear, within five minutes, I started to notice shadows. People are following us, right? <laughs> and by the time we made it to FYE or whatever, you know, we, we were doing a meet and greet. And I was like, yep, yeah, that's it. You're never coming to the mall with me again, dude. <laughs> so you're starting to see our love for drummers on this show. This is 2020. My name is Corey Pays. I'm here with the cohorts in crime as we're, we're becoming. The uh, cohorts. <laughs> yes, the cohorts in crime, uh, Siobhan Cronin. Hi. And Benny Goodman. Ahoy. Ahoy. The, the, the enthusiasm, the third, I feel like the person in the third uh, introduction always has the enthusiasm of like uh, Eeyore the donkey. Exactly. Like Winnie the Pooh. Wow, that was a winning <laughs> metaphor. I don't know where that came from. Literally like the saddest character that no one gives a flying that's, fuck about. Like if you said Piglet, you can empathize with Piglet. Does anyone empathize with Eeyore? Isn't the whole premise of the characters that nobody empathizes with Eeyore because no one gives a flying fuck about oh, a goddamn donkey. That's how I feel about our, our uh, you know energy level when we get introduced last. <laughs> But, uh, the energy level of this episode is nothing like but that. But do you ever think that maybe we, because we're 2020 that they give us the drummers, like the management gives us drummers because <laughs> yeah. that's like what that's keeps the them busy, we get. keeps the keeps the drummers out of trouble. I think we just relate to the drummers. That's really what it comes down to. Obviously, we hit it off well with them, and yes. particularly this week with our special guest Shannon Larkin of Godsmack. Some incredible stories to tell. He's such a cool guy. Anyone that's just listening has to tune into the video because he's got the vibiest space and all of his lava lamps and turtles. And Yeah, absolutely. And a, just a great guy to, to hang with. It definitely felt just like we we're all chilling in or his vibe room. Yeah. <laughs> I trip at that dude's place. You know that first off, all the floors are fuzzy. So yeah. it's safe. Like, you know it's safe. This is we one still he- never totally figured yeah. out what that meant. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then secondly, like, dude, like that room was made. Like to fucking yeah. swirl around your head. We had such a good time with Shannon, though. Let's let's jump right into it. And this is part one of two with Shannon Larkin, Godsmack, and the Apocalypse Blues Revival. The Apocalypse Blues Revival. Dot com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of 2020. I am here, uh, Siobhan Cronin. Let me introduce myself first because I almost forgot, which I usually do. <laughs> and I'm here with You're my You're not co- even smoking. What's your fucking I excuse? I know, but you know oh. what? To be fair, I am drinking and I did just get off a flight, so... Uh, cheers. Yeah, cheers, everyone. <laughs> it's going to be one of those episodes. One of those. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm Siobhan Cronin. I'm here with my good friends and cohorts, Benny Goodman. What's going on, Siobhan? <laughs> hey, and Corey Peza. It's actually more important that you introduce us because everyone actually knows who you are. Oh, no, no, so. no. Well, I you're already know. famous, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> but we do have a guest. Do you want to introduce him, Ben, since you're about to take over? Well, I am from Boston. And so even though he's not from Boston, according to the Wikipedias, um, he does represent 
maybe the biggest rock band to come out of Boston since Aerosmith? Is that, is that accurate? I'm, it's pretty damn close to accurate. Maybe, and you know, Betancourt's going to call me angry. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we have the one, the only, one of the most incredible drummers on the planet, but I don't want to relegate him to just being a drummer. Because <laughs> he's Shannon also a musician. Larkin. <laughs> Woo! Shannon Larkin from Godsmack! Ooh, and for anyone, for, Welcome, for anyone who's just listening to the audio, you got to tune into the video because he's sitting in the most vibey room I've ever yeah. seen in my life. <laughs> uh, it's good to be home. We've been home for quite a while now. Yeah, as we all have, I guess. It's yes, a weird well, year. How is that for you? That's got to be an adjustment from the last several years of your life. Yeah, you know, it's was, it was crazy how it all worked out for us. Like 2018... It was, I think, October, we released the Legends Rise record and Bulletproof single, right? And then, you know, the, we it came out, it, did, it was doing well, the song at radio and all that. So in January, then we went to Europe where we, you know, we're not as successful over there, but we have a, like a cult following, we're kind of cultish over there. And so, but play smaller venues and stuff like that. And it's freezing cold, right? And the tour... You know, we're out there and it wasn't, it wasn't, we were, it was a break even situation at best, you know? And so, but we really wanted, we really believed in this new record. So we really wanted to attack Europe again. And it'd been like eight years since we've been to Europe, right? And so, but in the meantime, what, while, we, while you're over there, you're kind of in that touring bubble. And, you know, and so Bulletproof had gone number one in America, I guess. And uh, so I guess, the, you guess. I love how he says he casually, <laughs> I guess. Well, I guess we went number one. I guess I took a number one seven minutes ago, Shannon. Well, <laughs> what I meant was because, you know, we we were kind of, you're out of it when you're in Europe, so you're not sure, following. Yeah. You're not following what your single's doing. Anyway, we come back to a wow, it went number one, and so it was rad. And 2019 kicked the ground, and we released the second single, which you know also was doing really well radio. And then we had the second leg in like March, April of the European tour. So we went back after doing a, a small run here in America. We put out the second single, went back, and the same thing happened. We came back to America, and Legends had gone number one. And so... Maybe you, know, you should go to Europe more often, because it seems no, to me like when you go to Europe, you get number ones, bro. Yeah. And 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 uh, and so then we, we went on tour, I think, with Hailstorm, and they did this killer tour in America. They're a great oh, cool. band. Yeah, we toured with them, too. They're a lot of fun. Love touring with them, right? They're, yeah. They're great to tour with. And so... Uh, and then put out another single that went number one. Oh my gosh. Crushing <laughs> it. And so we were looking at- wow, Were you man. even in Europe when that happened? Or does just, just that no, just happen when you when Godsmack releases songs? They're just number ones. No, we've never done that before. I mean, we've never had two in a row off one record. And then, you know, then the third one did it. And then we were still in America. We did one more like run of Europe to make three times and did Russia and all that. It was really cool. And then we came back and uh, we had a bunch of shows booked for 2020, man, with opening for Metallica and some festivals and all this exciting stuff, you know. And then, of course, we know what happened next. Boom, pandemic, fucked everything up. And then, uh, but the good news is, oh, and then, by the way, we put <laughs> Unforgettable, which was our fourth single, and it went number one. <laughs> Hold on a second. Another aside from Shannon Larkin. By the way, I forgot to tell you, instead of just having two straight number ones, uh, casually three, uh, it was actually the penultimate. The third one was the penultimate number one. And there was a fourth. I didn't remember about it because whatever. I'm in a trippy room from 69. But I, I had four singles, to my knowledge, off my record that were number one. That's pretty crazy, you know, even, I mean, to us, because we're just like, y'all, oh, you know, we put our pants on the same way, except for... When we put our pants on, we make number one singles. <laughs> that's a good way to it, put your pants on. Is that on. something that Paul Geary told you? Uh, I did. That's a joke that I saw in some movie. Yeah, or no? It was. It was a. It was a one of those. You know. Wasn't that the uh, cowbell skit? Yeah, you the, get, uh, Christopher Walken. Yeah. No, <laughs> See, here's the thing: is it's only funny if you're like if you seem like you're joking, and we know that you're joking, but your your band's so big that it's kind of not a joke though. So like it would be, it's like different layers of funny because you could kind of come off as like narcissistic, like oh, by the way, ah, I put on my pants like everybody else. But in your case, you probably don't because you're Shannon fucking Larkin and you have four number one singles casually before COVID hits. And I know a little bit of the story because Paul called me all excited because he moved to Las Vegas. But do you want to illuminate like 
tell us what happened because you 2020 2020 yeah we well, use that term but like you get 2020 you fucking turned it around crazy shit went down because because of timing you know and and, and i noticed in life that it is a lot about time mainly in life also but mainly in this business the music well, you're business. a drummer it's kind of important <laughs> yeah well I keep, time. I keep time baby you know that's, that's what i'm good at but i know that because like you know the, these oh by the way let me say the joke was when i first heard that it was it was something where the guy said i put my pants on the same way as you do except for when i put my pants on i make gold records that was the, the joke <laughs> oh, nice. christopher walken I, now i hear the, the walking in there so i used the four hit thing but uh but um it was it was i'll tell you this man you know it's been uh god 18 years i've been in the band now the band's been around for 21 years with tommy before me and stuff and you know, even Sully, Tony, Robbie, we just were all, we were all just, we didn't expect that shit. You know, it's not like you can, so it was still as exciting as if, you know, when we put out the basis record and got a number, our first number one or whatever, you know, it's exciting. And it, it doesn't do anything for you except for, you know, it makes you feel like, you know, you're, you, people get your music. And so, you know, as musicians, that's what we want. People just get our music, you know? And so, it was a really cool thing is what I'm trying to say. And we're not, we're not narcissistic in any way. And we, we, we are Sully, by the way, moved here. Uh, that was a last, nice pivot there last week. Oh, well, wow. I, well, the pivot was, I, cause I was going to go and just say how like as humans and, you know, we just are getting along better than that we ever have in 20 years. And it's like, we, 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 we feel like we've gotten past some kind of, I don't know, pressure. Some kind of monster. Some kind of feeling of pressure to try and, you know, do this or that or sell this or that. And, you know, because, you know, we're a band that's that's a successful band. And, you know, we've never broken over the top stadiums and all this shit. But we have a fan base that we feel are like us, you know. And, I mean, we might look, I mean, you know, I'm probably, you know, the weirdo of the band or whatever. But we're pretty much blue-collar dudes, you know what I mean? I just take a lot of mushrooms, so it makes me different. <laughs> well, you know, that's a, that's a funny thing that you say that because I, we're friends with David Aberziz from Pearl Jam on this show, and we had like a big bonding sesh talking about how like, I tripped on mushrooms for the first time in a long time this we summer. We had a whole episode on this. And what it, do you mean? Yeah, it changed my fucking world again. Um, I, and I, you know what? Now that I'm on the subject of David, I just I have to ask your opinion really quickly. I know this is a total stoner idea, but... Um, so I obviously, Shannon, you've sold a fuck ton of records. I think that's an actual legitimate uh, number, a fuck ton of <laughs> records with Godsmack. But there was a drummer before you. Now, David, we're friends with him. He played on Pearl Jam. Obviously, um, he was on Versus. He was on Vitology. He did all the, uh, the 10 um, touring and the, did the B-sides. But he got snubbed at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What happens and I'm not saying you'll ever leave the band, but like you say, you know, you want to go do your own thing. They have another drummer come in and it's time to induct Godsmack into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because you guys are going to be in. Like, it's going to happen. And they don't call your freaking name. Like, what's your opinion on this? If you're a pivotal member, which I consider you a pivotal member because Godsmack changed my life when I saw you and Sully having at it on stage. That was the first time it like actually smacked me in the face for real. Uh so like you, you to me are so important to the band, but like what happens, like what's your feeling on this? Because we've had a lot of conversation with David because I, he's the whole reason I know that band. Well, I mean, well, did what did they get Mac, Mac Cameron? He, he was in. No, that? they didn't get Matt Cameron. So uh, no, no, they got Matt Cameron and they got, they had Dave Cruzen who didn't, who was uh, obviously in Candlebox. Um, and played on 10, but he was fired before the record was even released. So you is when you, when they wasn't cruising that they put on the hall of fame because they, they put cruising and they put Cameron, but they didn't put David Abruzzese who arguably played on vitology. I mean, that's and versus, but yeah, two, two of their best records. and the 10 tours. So all those touring, like all the live stuff. Yeah. Hold on. Are you telling me, because I didn't hear anything about this, so you're telling me they put two drummers in the Hall of Fame for Pearl Jam and Dave, yes. and Dave Cruzen got in? 
Dave Cruzan got in over da- our boy, David Abruziz, who's our friend. And we think it's a whole fucking the worst thing. And it, it's killing me. But what I'm saying is that's odd because if Cruz just played one record, it was a great record, of course. And nothing live, ever. <laughs> that's odd. I don't understand that, no. And I don't see how Abruzzo couldn't go in. He would have went in, you think it would have been him and Cam. You know what I mean? Well, Ver- Versus was the biggest record of all time, fastest selling at that moment. So when Versus came out, that was his first record he did with them. It, was the, it hit every single uh, you know, chart. Abruzzo got famous though from the first record because I—that's who I thought played the drums. You know, I'm—I'm mean, I'm a drummer. He's in all the videos. His face—he's famous for Pearl Jam's first record too, even though Dave Cruz and played it. You know, so that's odd that he. Well, that's why I wanted to ask you because I figured that you know, dude, you're from that time period, and you're the second drummer. Well, I mean, technically, we all know Sully played drums in Godsmack at one point, but uh, you are. Not the first drummer in Godsmack, but as far as I'm concerned, you're the pivotal drummer. And for me, if you got snubbed, let's say down the line, that would it's tantamount to what's going through what David went through. And and, and I was just curious how you'd feel about it because we talked to him about it and, and, and that's part of my mushroom trip was <laughs> contemplating like what would happen if I sold millions of gajillions of records with this band and then they don't even think about me to give me the little star that said, Hey yo, we did this. I think, you know, I would say that in, in my case, I mean, I'm still with the band. So if Abruzzo was still in the band and he never would have left and Matt Cameron came in, then he would be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, right? I was saying a fictitious, like, let's say you walk away because you make the money, you make the smack money, you say, smack this shit, Sully. You go do just a drum circle with your friends in your crazy room, which is fine because you're making enough money, I'm sure. Like, we're, we're just going to guess from the gazillion records, I think, you know, quantifies the crazy lifestyle and taking shrooms and not giving a flying fuck. It's quite the and hypothetical. God bless you. Ben, you're here. hijacking this yes. conversation. By hijacking, I mean H-I-G-H jacking. <laughs> All right. So, Take so my on. thought to a better place place <laughs> I tell you this, I would be like fuck the rock and roll hall of fame if they did that to me and not because not because I care about the accolades from a, a committee anyway but because I, I'm proud for my band shit like if I'm in a band it's like we're in a you know football team or something you know you're proud to wear those colors and I'd be like why would they not let me in? If I was a bruzo, that would have pissed me off too, for sure, dude. I mean, he's probably, I don't know Dave, but I'm sure he's probably like, whatever, I don't know. I'd be like, fuck them. You know, that's just say that's, that's an appropriate response. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I'm guessing that's not something you're going to have to worry about. <laughs> well, I mean, also, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's like tonight is the uh, national championship in uh, college football, right? And it's Alabama versus Ohio State. Well, because of COVID, Ohio State only got to play six games this year. Hmm. They won all six easily. and then, But there were other teams that fans felt should have got in the top four, uh, you know, running for the, the playoff, the college football playoffs, rather than Ohio State, who won six games. You got a team over here – Wisconsin won 10 games or whatever. You know what I mean? And so, but then they whipped Clemson's ass, which kind of proved that they deserve to be in there. But my point is, is a committee, because there's so many teams in college, committee sat down and all said, we feel that this team should be in, and then they get in. And it's the same Mm -hmm. shit with the Grammys and the Hall of Fame. Yeah, You know, once you get to the level where you're nominated for a Grammy, then it goes to, you know, uh, a committee could be a committee of artists and record company dudes or whoever it is it's a committee well of- i mean jethro toll should have definitely won best metal record over metallica <laughs> i mean it's clearly obvious right and i mean that year that flute you know, so metal the year that macklemore beat fucking jay-z and and kendrick lamar and all the macklemore won it it was just who <laughs> right exactly well it's, it's the controversy they they need to stay relevant so they got to stir the pot a bit yeah, helps. it's like, you know, it's like there should be a fucking, uh, uh, um, a time limit, a time, it's just like in the government, man, you know, with, with the senators, they got to put, they can't just have these endless terms, right? 
got to get get the old out and let the young in and they, you know the world changes and moves on we can't have a 70 fucking eight year old asshole that's you know been there for 50 years and done shit right <laughs> same thing in the in the, the grammy and the hard uh the hard do you think new gingrich knows how to make a pdf <laughs> <laughs> no there's definitely like kind of like this the shadowy figure uh vibe going on with a lot of those award shows and, and those committees and like who is making those decisions and how much is calculated and how much is actually you know realistically based on merit and the answer is probably very little i mean look at you know even billy irish irish eilish yep. elish whatever um <laughs> who's a rad um artist and she's great and that record's great i haven't heard it but i know it's great but uh <laughs> Anyway, you could see her face, man, by the time they were giving her like her fourth or fifth or 10th yeah. one or whatever. And she's like, please don't let it be me, man. Yeah. <laughs> please give it to somebody else. That's great, too. You know, it's like, yeah, they, they I don't know. Fuck it's, her. Enjoy it while you can, because it ain't coming again. <laughs> you know, let her take yeah. it, Billy. Yeah, you know yeah. what? Take it. Take it. every one of those. Be proud of it. Take your moment because it, it all it all is just, you know, smoke and mirrors, dude. Like you understand this. Like you're making great music. And for the fact for anyone to recognize you, for someone to say like, oh, give it to someone else. Or like, I no. for me, it's like it's someone you're finally being appreciated. Sometimes people are wrongfully appreciated over others. But that said, like, you know what? Congratulations to her for the fact that they made a record in like her, what, brother's bedroom or something like that. That one best record. Well, that was and, a lot of the sensation, too, I'm sure. Sure, it was like the quintessential millennial Gen Z, like, yeah. you know. It took a lot of marketing to make it look like they weren't trying, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think uh, yeah. it was one of, the, one of those deals. Yeah. It was still mixed by a world-class mixing engineer. Right, exactly. And, yeah. That's the stuff they don't yes, talk yeah. about, yeah. Timing and luck in this business are every bit as important as talent and songwriting. You know, like you can put... The four best dudes, like the best singer, best drummer, best bass player, best guitar player in the room. And they're going to make, they might make a shit song, you know, because it's about luck of having chemistry. And chemistry is this real thing, right, that musicians have. That's why some bands can be amazing, but they don't have that thing that, that makes them sell records for whatever reason. So their chemistry is not correct, right? And it's not something that you can buy or sell. It's luck. So if you luck into like, I don't know, like when, uh, you know, James Hetfield met Lars Ulrich, right? That was a stroke of luck. And they both hit the same, like, chemistry level. It's, it's a vibe thing, you know, aura thing. And so when it happens, it's magic. and That's where the greats come from. Well, so that's interesting that you bring that up because I wanted to ask you, obviously, you've had a lot of number one hits, as you mentioned earlier, and you obviously must have a great chemistry with your band. And I'm curious about the writing process, because um, like, for example, the band that I play in, a lot of the writing is directed by the singer, you know, and there's a lot of stuff that's kind of outsourced. And it's well, I, you I feel have like, two billion streams, Siobhan. So right, like, maybe he's doing something right. Maybe perhaps, we should listen to but, the singer. But it's I think it's a totally different approach. And I, I like this. I, I'm just curious to hear about, you know, you coming in as the drummer and, you know, what was the chemistry like or what is the chemistry like in your band and what is the writing process like? Because um, obviously there's something very special there. I will tell you. And it, it's uh, since I joined Faceless, the Faceless record was in 2000. I joined in 2003 and we put, we did the basis record and then the four record came out four years later and every record subsequently has come out four years apart. And to the last one, we actually held off so that we could make it four years in between records because we've always been a band that, you know, we, you don't see us like, it wasn't like an MTV band, you know, where we're, we're pretty faceless. That's what's the title of that. And, and it's because, you know, we fly under the radar, but when people hear, you know, a song, oh, wow, that's, oh, that's Godsmack. Like, they know our song, Voodoo or whatever, or I Stand Alone or whatever song. They'll know that, but not the name of the band, you know, because we're not, we don't, we don't oversaturate. And Sully is really, I wouldn't even say it's his genius that makes it like that. It's just the way he operates and wants to make a different record every time. So, you know, and I'm sure whatever people say, oh, every record sounds the same that they do or whatever. But, you know, if you look at the Faceless record, you know, we had David uh, Bottrell produce it, who had done Tool. And 
we made a really metallic militant sounding metal record. The basis record was metal sounding. And so, and then four years later, after, you know, and then we tour for a year and a half to two years on it. And then we have like a year to, you know, write and just, you know, get high. <laughs> and, um, and so, and, and hang out, you know. And That's so, a lot of getting high. Do you guys get high as a band and like Sully says, yo, man, I have this idea. And you're like, dude, you're just wicked high. This is no, the wrong no, weed. It doesn't get high. <laughs> well, then, so you're the one getting high. So what does he do for all that year? Well, no, no. Me and Tony smoke pot sometimes and all, but we use it. We, we do, man. We're, we're pretty, it's a, you know, we're, we're pros and like we, I've been getting high since I was 13. You know what I mean? I, this has been part of my life, rock and roll and all. I, by the way, I haven't had a drink. I'm a recovering, recovered alcoholic. I haven't drank in a Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. Wow. Four years though, you know, and I'm super happy even we've toured the Amazing. world. I've been to Russia and didn't even drink a shot of vodka, which was That's hard. hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's hard. I'm like, I'm over here. I can just, I, I know what I'm like, you know, and I, you know, whatever. I, that thing, the struggle's real and all, but I'm super happy and healthy and better than I've ever been. And the whole band is. And Sully still drinks. Tony hasn't drank and shit. He quit a year before me. <laughs> And so Robbie and Tony can still drink and we can still like before the shows, man, you know, they can hold up their shots of vodka or whatever. And, and me and Tony hold up our Cokes, you know, or, or whatever we're drinking. I usually have water now, but anyway, uh, and Snapple, and, the best and then, stuff on earth. I never, I never get high by the way, when I play drums, you've never, I don't get high and play drums. So it's an after. And is that a bad thing though? Cause I feel like drinking. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm sure Jason Costa will argue you could drink and play drums. Cause our, our good friend, Jason from all that remains is a fucking maniac that plays traditional grip yeah. and does like two twenty blast beats on a, like he drinks a half. I say Anna, like he's like, like taking acid, yeah. like <laughs> drinking half a bottle of crown Royal. I couldn't dude. I couldn't walk from room to room doing that. But if you gave me like three ounces of weed and had me like hang out with be real from Cypress Hill, like I'd be fine. I could play a whole show, but some other people like I know can drink, you know, a dime bag. Well, dime bag Daryl could do anything, but like yeah. there's other guys who, you know, they, they smoke a little bit and they're fucking scared of the microphone, but if they drink, they're all good. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, drinking is liquid courage. We all know that, you know what I mean? It, it does help, especially us band guys or whatever. It fucking helps. You know, when you're, I don't care, you know, in my 10,000th show or whatever, I'm still going to have some butterflies in my stomach and a little bit of nervousness. That's a well, good you might be opening for Metallica if you're not opening, uh, being the main act yourself. You know what I mean? Like playing with the most legendary <laughs> bands in the world. So, like, is that, a, that I can't imagine that's lost on you when you hear 30, 40, 50,000 people screaming outside. It never goes away, and that's why we do it. You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, once that, and it's one of those I things. I don't know. I'm not that good. I clean no. bathrooms. Well, I'm talking. Well, it's luck. It's luck. It's not because you're not that good. It's because you didn't find the other three guys in your life, man. That's what I'd say, man. And listen, it's like, so, so anyway, the, the, the Shannon story, all right? So, like, I met Sully because I'm going to answer you, about about uh, the songwriting sure, process. yeah, yeah get back around to that so sure. so when i met sully it was 1986 maybe 87 i was in this band Rathchild america right and we we were tearing up the clubs all over the east coast all this shit it was the 80s metallic was coming we were on the thrash front kind of thing you know anthrax all that and so uh sully had a band called lex luthor and his band got to open up for my band Rathchild down in, in carolina where he was at the time and you know they played like a wicked good version of like, I don't know, Restless and Wild by Accept or some shit. And I was like, wow, you're rad. And so we hit it <laughs> off. And so we hit it off with me and Sully, right? Like as drummers and exchanged numbers. And man, for the next 15 years, you know, like he called me when Joe Darko was in the band and Godsmack was starting to take Boston and the AAF was playing it. And man, fucking Newberry Comics is selling the shit out of it. They're literally charting with no record deal at this point, right? on a demo which ended up being the first album remastered so uh i got the call from sully then dude we got universal we got atlantic we got epic everybody's up our ass you got to come join the band you know and i'm like fuck i just signed a deal with my punk band in la amen with ross robinson's label under roadrunner virgin all this shit 
And so, and I remember that band, just so you know, like Ozfest, I think it was at 90, uh, not 90, was it 99? It was with what, Mikey Dolling from um, Soulfly and um, Snot. Well, no, we had Sonny Mayo from Snot. Sonny from Snot. Sonny from Snot. The bass player from Snot, too. Tumor. uh, uh, Was it Tumor? Yeah. Yeah. John John Fonestock. That my my wires were crossed, but like I I remember seeing seeing you guys in '99. It wasn't God's best, but you got the year correct. But it was the Tattoo the Earth Festival, which was short lived. Well, yeah, with Mudvayne, right? It, with Mudvayne and Slayer, right? Slipknot, Slayer, Mudvayne, uh, Amen, and System of a Down. Yeah, I remember, right? dude. That was, was the, the most that insane thing? show. Well, that's insane, when Slipknot and shut, all the tattoos, they shut out of the cannon and took over the world after that tour, man. And they took us amen around the world. That's how I got my nickname, Apocalypse. I'll tell you about that later. But <laughs> so, so anyway, long story short, fifteen years pass, or, or not even. And you know, he's he's asking me to join this band, Godsmack, and I'm saying, well, I can't. I got to do amen. And so it was almost so, Tommy you know, came in on the first record, you know, and did those first two records. That took four years for both those to come out. So now it's, it's 2000, it's 98, 99, 2001. So now it's 2002, right? And the Awake record and then, you know, 9-11 happened, all this bullshit. And Sully called me and said, you know, we, we, we're going to get rid of Tommy. And I was like, you know, what, what are you saying to me? I just quit Amen two weeks before he called me. Wow. Two weeks before he called me, I was pre- my wife's pregnant. And, you know, I'm like, I can't be in a punk band, you know. At, at Serendipity, 30. dude. So, wow. fuck, it was meant to be, right? And so I'm like, yes. And I, anyway, so right away, now this is uh, back to the songwriting thing. You know, he, Sully's a man that likes to write his own lyrics because and if you look at all the records, I mean, on the first record, the only song that wasn't really about him and his emotions, feelings was Voodoo, which was a, you know, a, a fantasy song about Serpent and Rainbow, the movie, actually. That's where he came up with that. But every other song was about this pain that he'd gone through with the breakups and keep away from me, bitch, and all that shit. And the Awake record carried that on. And every record, now that I say it, listen to our records, and every song is pretty much one of his emotions coming out. So... He wants to paint the picture. He's the visionary of the band. It is. He handpicked each one of us and he writes the lyrics and see, and I'm a lyricist and I have been since a little kid. It's something that I just love to do. Right. And I'm passionate about it. So, but I was like, fuck, I mean, they, by the time Sully asked me to join, it was like, I, I was, I felt like the luckiest guy in the world. Cause I'd already kind of written off my dream of ever, you know, I'd played with black Sabbath and, I candle box and did done some shit. So I felt like, you know, I'm good. You know, I got my little piece of the pie, but I never like, certainly never got fame or fortune. I was still making, you know, in amen, I make 30, 35 grand a year or whatever with a kid at home. It's crazy. Yeah. Touring the world. Anyway. So right away in songwriting, the lyrics gone. And so, and that was kind of, you know, at the time I wasn't really, my music that I was writing was way, not God's Mac, right? I just always have written different music, and so I knew. But anyway, as it as it turned out, so the Faceless record, uh, we he just threw us little bones of publishing, whatever the percentage was. But he wrote the lion shit ninety percent of that record. Tony Rombolo wrote Serenity, which was really the only song credit he got on that record. Even though we all, like I said, Sully threw us all a little bone because we all contribute in the room, right? Mm-hmm. But four years later, after touring and writing of the next record, Tony and I, uh, to- I had moved to Florida then um, from California. I was still living in California. The band was in Boston, you know, and I all of a sudden I had to fly all the time. I spent so much time on a jet that I just moved to the East Coast. But I didn't want to move to Boston because I was sick of the cold. I grew out of the cold when I went to California. Don't I was like, blame you, man. <laughs> I'm a Florida girl. Fuck too. that yeah. shit. All right. So I moved to Florida. And Sully doesn't like it and moves back to Boston. And so, but then a year later, Tony Rombola moves to Florida, to Cape Coral, my town. And so now we have two of us here and Sully and uh, Robbie are up north. And so Tony and I, you know, kind of developed this writing thing. And because Sully's like, write some songs and we'll get together, you know. So him, he would write songs up there 
And Tony and I would be writing songs down here in Florida, right? And so we wrote, and this was, this was by the way, on the, after the four record. The four record, I had to go to Boston. We, we all wrote the record in Boston up there. And that's where Tony and I kind of started to bond as writers. Because on the Faces thing, he had all the material, man, and it was, Bottrell was in there, and it was just, he wrote everything on that record. That's all, Sully, except for, like I said, Serenity. Second record, Tony and I got four songs on it, including Speak, the number one single, and Living in Sin, or uh, the first song on the record, which was the heaviest song, I think. Anyway, um, so he, he gave us that and let us become, you know, integrated kind of in the songwriting to, to where on the next three records, we all wrote and, you know, 50%, say, 40 to 50% of the music for Godsmack, Tony and, Tony and I, right? And we come up with these, you know, cool songs, bitch, whatever, all these songs. And so uh, after the thousand horsepower happened, Sully comes to us and, you know, and he's, like I said, he's our fearless leader. Look, we, you know, he's, he's a visionary dude, man. You know, he's had a life. And so, and we follow him and he's, he's, we, I can't say enough great things about him. I'm not just talking shit. He's my friend way longer than we've done so much crazy shit together. Like before I was even in his band, you, I, you wouldn't believe the stories. I can't even say them. Try us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got, you got to test him out on the show. We 80s. love stories. It was the eighties. And so I can't. <laughs> what know? happened in the eighties stays in the eighties because there was no social media. <laughs> Groovy wasn't a bad word yet, and there was cocaine. It was a different time, you know what I mean? So I don't even talk, but I'm just saying how close him and I've always been. And yeah. in all, anyways, and so come, come, come time to make the Legends record, and you know, we got, we had just finished touring, so we knew we had, you know, probably two, two and a half years to make and record a great record, which is a lot of time, and we understand that we're blessed to have that kind of time, you know. Each record, that's why every four years we don't put out something we don't feel, you know, is going to be great. And, you know, and so and we're lucky again that to have that blessing and opportunity to be able to take our time and no labels breathe down our neck. And it's just our own thing. So Sully comes to us and says, yeah, you know, I want to write. I want to write with other writers. And we're like, oh, shit. OK. Uh, like I said, you know, we uh, Tony and I, you know, if I'm I'm. I'm, I'm honest when I say, you know, we were like hurt at first, you know what I mean here? But, you know, if you look historically and you talk about Boston bands, the biggest band ever out of Boston, Aerosmith, they went through, you know, when they had oh, their rough times, they came back and they got Bruce Fairborn and he helped them write. And, you know, the dude, they got all kind of writers. And next thing you know, Aerosmith's sound kind of changed and they wrote like, you know, Dude looks like a lady and loving an elevator. Well, I mean, you he, got Desmond Child walking in, and he's like, "Remember that song, living on, uh, living on a prayer? We're just gonna like, take you and make you that." And then, like, did like, you know, da 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 da. And I know that like our drummer Paul Lorenzo, who we talk about a lot, he he's uh, a he's a generation beyond us. He doesn't want me to tell his age because he looks like a vampire. But he's one of those guys that can be like, "Yo, yeah, dude, I stopped listening to Megadeth after so far, so good, so what." Oh yeah, no Metallica after after like literally ride the lightning, like forget it, like like you know it's like Aerosmith rocks, like that was when they like they started getting toys in the attic. It's all right, yeah. so it's, it it's is just, it is a big shift though if you go from a band that was one writer and then then the, the tight knit group of writers and then you are bringing in an outsiders. Well, the point uh, is is that you have weird. Van Hagar and Van Halen and then you, with Aerosmith, you have like guys that liked the Aerosmith that wrote like rocks and like the stuff that, you know, Steven Tyler is not necessarily doing all that uh, produced stuff and then you have Pump, Permanent Vacation and Get a Grip. You know what yeah. I mean? Which is a totally different band to a lot of people. But hyper successful. How was that adjustment for you? How long did it take for you to kind of get into that mindset of actually bringing in that outside opinion? Well, we just, me and Tony just fucked off to Florida and <laughs> and then Robbie, our bass player, bought a house in up in North Florida, not about probably five hours from us, but moved to Florida too. And so then Sully, you know, our studio, by the way, is in Boston and our headquarters and stuff. And so Sully was kind of left alone up there to do, to write with other people. And, you know, at first it's like, you feel like he's cheating on us or something, but. 
you know, he was so open about it. And he's like, look, you know, I'm just, I feel like, you know, like in the four record after Faces was this militant metal record. Then four, he, four years later, we made the four record. He wanted, he had a theme every time. So he's like, dudes, let's try and make a bluesy or blues or rock record. Like we even got Andy Johns who worked with the Stones and fucking that dude, by the way, boy, talk about stories, you know. Like he was at, he did the Exile on Main Street. He was at the mansion in, in France with the Stones, engineering that shit. Yeah. Told me crazy. stories about being on three hits of fucking acid in bed with Keith Moon and three chicks. Crazy shit, right? That was a seven. I actually did three hits of acid and thought I was in bed with Keith Moon and three chicks too, <laughs> but I don't think they were there. Keywords thought. <laughs> yeah, they weren't really there. <laughs> but they were just my pillows. There's way too many pillows in my bed, just for reference. Yeah. So, so we go to the, um, you know, the blue, tried to make a bluesier rock record, whatever, with the four record, turned into this dark, weird record for us, I feel. And then I liked it, but it was dark and weird. And then, uh, and then the fifth record was, um, fucking, uh, Oracle, which was, uh, again, then we get Dave Fortman in to produce, you know, who had done Slipknot and Evanescence, huge Evanescence records, the first two and Mudbane, you know? And so we, the Oracle, I think, allowed Tony more expression as a lead player, which he hadn't really played much lead on those first three, four records at all. You know, little four-bar leads like Keep Away. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, you know, so the Oracle record, I thought, was a good heavy back to the kind of the heavy part of Godsmack record. And we all wrote. And then the next record was Thousand Horsepower, which is still my favorite record we made. And we were like, I felt like firing in all cylinders. And then there it is. It it was, it still it still had a number one hit. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it, it you know it didn't it didn't resonate with the fans like we thought it would. We thought, wow, man, we did something really high energy and like you know more you know attitude on it and shit. You know, we thought, um, so maybe that made Sully you know take a step back and go, wow, you know, and you know what. The band might get mad at me for saying this, but we'd also, he had just, I'm, he's the youngest one and he was the last guy to turn 50. And it might like, our manager hates when I say this, but I'm fucking, I'm 53 and man. And so we've been doing this shit. Is that a problem? That's so weird. (laughs) We've been doing this fucking shit forever, man. And like, and when he turned 50, you know, now we're all over 50. I think he felt, you know, we, we need to mature our music. And also, you know, I was, you know, I was like, I stroked out in my late forties from all the fucking headbanging and shit. And, uh, I mean, literally had a stroke and was in the hospital. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. I did. And so, and my doctors are like, you can't bang your head anymore like that. And whatever, you know, you rocked and, way too so hard, man. That's- I was trying to, you know, put like sunglasses on, on stage because I, I just forget and start banging sure, my head. Yeah, yeah. It's like muscle memory. Of course. Yeah. Well, still do by the way. And, and it turned out that uh, I got a heart surgery. I had a hole in my heart <gasps> and that was allowing these blood clots to slip through. And, and then when a blood clot slips through and goes to your brain, like typically it goes through the four parts of your heart and it just dissipates the blood clot so that it doesn't go and hit your brain. If the blood clot gets through and hits your brain, it makes a stroke. Pow. So, you know, I was in my kitchen, bang. It's like, I thought <gasps> it was home intrusion or something, you know, all of a sudden I, got felt like hit well it was a stroke man so anyway i dealt with all that shit and but by the way play at two weeks after that stroke i went and played the uh a festival in texas we played god's oh my Head. god headline this festival but um that was some crazy times you know but we yeah. went through all that shit and all the you know the whole time you got to realize too we we are real friends you know and it's not like so, you know, the whole time he's been so... So anyway, my point is, when he came to us uh, with this idea of writing with other dudes and being having a more mature sound, you know, um, we all just said, do it, dude. You know, we're, we, we got your back. As long as we like the songs, you know? If, if the songs are shit, we're not going to sit here and say, yeah, I'll play these songs. Mm-hmm. If we think they're shit, there's going to be trouble in paradise, buddy. You know, and he's yeah. like, I totally get it. And he even, when he played us Bulletproof, which was the first song he played us that he had written with someone else in 20 years with as Godsmack. You know, he makes solo work. He writes whoever he wants. But it's always been the four of us after, you know, the 
the baseless on 18 years. And he played, he sat down and he said he was nervous, you know, like playing us this song because it had a synth synth part. It has a synth part in the verse, wop, 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 you know. <laughs> and so he's like, man, they're going to think it's, I, I almost said an uh, politically incorrect thing. But they, he thought we think it was weak. Yeah. And so, uh, but, but as soon as he got to the verse, when the verse comes in and he starts singing, man, it's his voice. And his voice, mm-hmm. he's one of those dudes. That's why he's famous. His voice sounds like if you don't know one song of ours and you, well, I mean, if you know one song of ours and then you hear a song come on that's different, you've never heard, and he starts singing, then you go, oh, Godsmack, because it's saying. Yeah. Has, it sounds like him, you know. And so anyway, we heard Bulletproof Verse happen. And then the, the, the break sped at, boom, into the chorus, and he did the big... And again, that was a different melody for him. And, you know, from his last solo record, he had learned to... He got really... He had learned to play piano years ago, but he's one of those musicians, by the way, dude, that it makes you... It makes me fucking envious because he's so... He can pick up... Like, if he wants to play sax, he'll pick it up, and a year later, he's like fucking Clarence Clemens or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it took him maybe five, six years and the motherfucker plays like Elton John. So like he wrote scars right there, whatever. But uh, anyway, it, it also made him start singing in different keys. So now we didn't even know, like he's always been a strong baritone voice, you know, in, in the past. And, you know, as he started using his upper range, you know, he has a really nice voice up there. And we were like, that sounds really good, dude. You know, what can we say? Uh, you know. Sounds like Robbie. I've never heard Robbie's like, sounds like a fucking hit to me, you know, <laughs> and it really is. And, you know, so and and then, by the way, those demos like he did, he wrote, went off and wrote with other dudes. And then mm-hmm. he comes to us with these demos, it's drum machines, you know. And so I had at least some freedom. Then he, he integrated the band. And so we kind of learned we learned these demos and then start jamming in a room and it became what it sounded like in the end, which was, uh, you know, way different than what the demo sounded like and way more like the band Godsmack. I was right. going to ask you that. So you did get like some opportunity for creative input because I'd imagine, you know, for me, that's one thing as a violinist, for example, I'm always kind of a hired gun, right? I get very little input on the like writing process when I'm playing with bands. So that's something that would probably drive me crazy <laughs> if I didn't get like some sort of like creative outlet in songs that we're doing. But it sounds like you did get to kind of make it your own after that, yeah. right? I mean, for the most part, I, I, you know, the beats, the thing about me is I'm a drummer. I'm beat oriented, man, you know, and so the beats were written. So, you know, if I'm doing a 16th note on the hi-hats or whatever instead of the 8th note, that's me putting my little vibe in or uh, a splash on the off one, which it's, you know, <laughs> all right, there's a little larking in there or whatever. But <laughs> you know, for the most part, man, you know, it was done and there were, all the beats were there, the big-ass beats. I will say, though, you know, those are, I'm just talking about the big four, like we call them, the singles, you know, mm-hmm. because then the rest of the record, you know, he wrote those songs himself, but we had a lot more, uh, we could integrate our musicianship in. So if he's, cause he'll be like, you know, give me a Tom groove or something. So I get to actually, boom, I'll start a Tom groove. It came from me, you know, right there. And he'll be all, you know, yeah, move to the ride symbol or whatever, you know, he's like the director and he has these, like, he's like, I am in the apocalypse blues revival. It's like, you know, the, you get these songs in your head and, and you can see them and hear them in their completion. Like I hear the songs I write with already with the, the sax part or the three part harmony backup chick vocalists and mm-hmm. or whatever. I'm hearing this shit as a demo of drums, bass and vocals. So anyway, he has the vision of the songs complete. So, you know, when you're trying to sell it to your band, you know, you got to you got to trust your your guy right like you know like i always tell rombola because i don't know if y'all have even heard the apocalypse but we do some weird shit some crazy trippy music right it's trippy like there'll be parts specifically written like you guys you boston shirt tell me your name <laughs> it's benny goodman Uh-uh. yes yeah man no. i'm not I am not a king, nor do I swing, but I do, in fact, Shannon, 
Sing, sing, sing. That's rad, dude. Benny. And when and I will tell you when Paul, your manager, got me on the guest list for the Hollywood Vampires, Joe Perry had called him and said, "How did I see Betty Goodman on the guest list?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Wait a minute, Joe Perry said my name." And then I said the exact same joke to him that I just said to you, and he laughed the first three times he met me. Nice. You know, yeah. every single time I made him laugh at that same joke like it was the first time, and it was great. <laughs> That's great, man. Because you know, Joe Perry's you, the man. When you're meeting a rock star like a real one, like Joe Perry, you know, you don't want to say some stupid. Are shit. you not a real one, man? Are we talking you're back like taking a real rock star. You're a real. You're a real. <laughs> Like yeah. in my world, man, you're a real rock star. In fact, you're one of the greatest drummers that I've ever seen in the modern day. Like it truly, truly. In fact, and I'm, we can get into it more. The professor who has every drummer who now has like a, a, like a hard on somewhere is like, oh my God, you talked about Rush. But Neil Peart, <laughs> while he was here amongst us living people, like acknowledged Godsmack and the awesomeness of what you personally do, which to me, and he was also a lyricist as a drummer, yes. which to me is, it, if I didn't believe in you, okay, people in Boston, Sully can tell you this, I'm sure you know, we trust our guys, just like you said, we trust our guys. Neil Pert is a guy that like us in Boston, if you play drums and Neil goes, yeah, it's good, like how the fuck do you say it's not good when the professor is in class saying, uh, the the God smackers are good, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, man, and, and that was that was some shit. You know, that was amazing when Neil Pert even took the time to whatever. That, that was, you know, rest in peace, the man, the the myth. The, I tell you what, I met him, and Sully and I went when and got, you know, the opportunity to go backstage and meet Neil Pert in his dressing room alone with Neil, and it was just for ten minutes, but. It was like I was in. It was like I was sta standing there looking at a, a unicorn. <laughs> was a he was a mythical creature that that I couldn't believe was actually real in front of me, and standing there actually speaking. And it was just. And so when I say things like a real rock star, like Neil Peart or Joe Perry, you know what I mean. And I'm not trying to be like belittle what Godsmack's achieved and what I've done and what I am in this world. But I think that us when we are dudes in bands that are successful, then we still, well, we should still be fans. You know what I mean? And so I never feel like it's fucking weird when I'm in a grocery store and somebody goes, Hey, are you Shannon from God's bag? And I, I, I'm embarrassed a little. I'm like, Oh, I am. I am that dude. You know what I mean? But it's not like I feel like some rock star when I walk around. It's weird. I've always felt like a, a psychedelic biker. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, well, that's gotta be a really <laughs> shitty thing if you are on psychedelics and you're walking outside because I don't want anyone to talk to me and I'm walking <laughs> down the street like don't talk to me and then someone's like are you that are you that guy like yeah man what about it and I'd fucking start running and flip me the fuck out dude like that's gotta be like a, a liability it's, it's a weird thing I tell you that's why I love Godsmack and how we've been we are faceless kind of we're under the radar I tell you what you know Sully isn't, and he has the the curse of the singer. And so I'll tell you a quick interesting story. I was, uh, I would, you know, on my days off on tour, I'd like to go to bookstores and I'll get an Uber and call and go alone. I like to be alone. I'm, we're fucking surrounded by people constantly, right? So, you know, so I go to bookstores or, or uh, mom pop record stores I love to frequent or mom pop music stores, you know, and try and find something cool to do out there to get away from the circus. That is God's Mac on tour. And so uh, one time Sully's like, oh, well, you know, what do you do? And a lot of times I'll just go to the mall if we're in like, you know, Des Moines, Iowa or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go to the mall, you know what I mean? And I am never recognized. It's just, I just am not. And so maybe it's because I look like this behind the drums. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is, but I don't get recognized. And neither does Tony or Robbie. So it's a blessing because... Sully's so like, yo, dude, so I'm going to go to the mall with you. I want to go to the mall tomorrow. And I'm like, okay. And so Sully, Sully Erna comes to the mall with me. And within, I swear, within five minutes, I started to notice shadows. People are following us, right? <laughs> and by the time we made it to FYE or whatever, you know, we, we were doing a meet and greet. And I was like, yep, that's it. 
you're never coming to the mall with me again. <laughs> and so, you know, what it is, is, you know, I mean, the grateful, I feel so grateful to be a drummer and to have the success and, and, and fame of, of, of this awesome band from Boston, Godsmack, you know, but I sure do love the anonymity of being a drummer and, and the way Godsmack's kind of stayed, you know, under the radar, even though, you know, and since the new one, Bulletproof did come out and kind of hit, it was because of this video too that we did that's real funny it's our yeah. first funny video or whatever and sully ruled it hilarious with, it's hilarious he rules it with this character he's a fucking funny dude in real well, life first off i saw it because paul geary sent it to me and i'm like wait paul geary's in a video yeah. and <laughs> and he's not and he's not holding any newspaper so i'm like okay interesting he's out of his character role yeah. and uh he sebastian comes in bach he, in there and yeah <laughs> and you have sebastian bach and billy ray cyrus yeah, yeah. And, if you guys haven't ray, if you guys have not watched this video go check it out god's bulletproof. bulletproof it's fucking it's priceless it i mean the song itself is awesome but the video is like it's it and then Sully just takes the cake as far as if there was any preconceived notions about what he could be like, well, he shits all over people with this character in that video because it's hilarious. It's fucking funny. And he's funny. He's just, it's a funny, he's a funny dude. But uh, shit, forgot what I was going with that. Oh, just flying under the radar. I mean, it's, it is interesting. Yeah. The, the dichotomy. You got some notoriety from it is what you were saying. So after that video, I don't know, got, whatever million hits that they do or whatever. Um, now all of a sudden I, I go into Home Depot where I've always gone for the last three years and I can't not get recognized now. <laughs> so I'm thinking, wow, the power of video and yeah. and there it is. Now I can be recognized. And why? Because in all the other videos, there was no acting or standing around like this. You know, it was always movement and, mm-hmm. and the drummer, you know, gets showed the least probably because he's a drummer and, behind this giant thing anyway but boy when they were doling out the acting talent i was like in the last in line or something (laughs) and i can can tell and sully always wants me to act with him we did another video one time and i was we i don't know if y'all saw this one but sully and i played like sully's actually a girl with pigtails and braces i don't think i saw that one no it's 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 all uh what's it it called it's on thousand horsepower um um, I can't even remember the name of my own songs, dude. <laughs> Come on, you're fucking with me. Because now I can't remember like the video. Like we, we, we. I think. Oh man, it was a promotional thing, maybe. I don't know. But I literally was dressed up with this blonde wig and all this shit. And Sully was a girl, though. My sister in the video, and it was. A I remember st- learning to fly by by the Foo Fighters. That's where Dave like Grohl that. was a girl. That's, that's not the same band. It's not the no. same. Oh, it's a different band. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> But it was a lot like that, honestly. We were all dressed up. And then we even did the thing on stage, a skit in which characters dressed up in our road crew and came out during that part of the song. And I just can't remember it. I'm sorry. But uh, was it I Want to Break Free? Was that? Oh, that was Queen did that, too. That's right. Something different or what's next? Might have been something different. Yeah. Something different. (laughs) We'll have to check that one out. (laughs) But I don't remember the video having that. But anyway... Uh, oh, it might have been the song Thousand Horsepower. No, I can't remember, y'all. Anyway, you, you were a good actor, was the point. Oh, I think that's the point. I came <laughs> my way out of a wet paper bag. It's that simple. Uh, thank God. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, we're uh, we're coming up on the end of our first hour here, uh, and I think we need to hear more. Oh my, yeah, there's like so many things I haven't been able to ask you yet, like even pre Godsmack era. Yeah, but yeah, Ben, Jen, what do you want? This is what we usually do. So, like, it's kind of like shocking on. Then by the second hour, we're like on cruise control, and like we've all like dialed in the wavelength. We've made sure like it's the right era of Beatles playing in the background with our incense, and we kind of let you go. <laughs> yeah, the, the Beatles pictures, and I oh, made nice. the I made the frames myself. They they're the pictures that came in the uh, nice. I think the white album reissue. Yeah, guys, make sure you check out the YouTube video for this episode if you're not put my yeah, my yeah. Beatles. On the wall. All right. Well, so listen, you've been 2020, but you guys stick around. Shannon, will you stick around and, and, and peek with us on the next one? I will. Shannon's the best. Uh, thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. We have new ones out every Sunday and Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. 
This week's throwback clip is from episode 13 with the incomparable Rusty Cooley. Check it out. Here's the bottom line that I give anybody, anybody that asks. I tell them, it's like, if you don't absolutely love it more than anything in this world, don't do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you have to, I mean, you, you have to go into it knowing that, man, I want to do this no matter what. Yeah. If you don't know that, then you shouldn't do it. Go get a regular job, get a backup plan. You know, be one of those people that have a backup plan. I know a lot of people like that. It's like, you know, got a lot of friends that, that are living cushy lives because they had their backup plan and shit like that, but they can't play like I can play. Right. <laughs> One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.